Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Orthopedic Surgery Podcast, a curated series of interviews and discussions highlighting the three shields of orthopedic surgery at Mayo Clinic, clinical practice, research, and education. Welcome back to the Mayo Clinic Orthopedic Surgery Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Okoraha, and I'm really excited today to welcome Dr. Michael Stewart. Dr. Stewart is a professor of orthopedic surgery here at the Mayo Clinic. He actually completed his residency here at Mayo before doing a sports fellowship at Western Ontario. Dr. Stewart is known in the US and internationally for his complex knee practice and has published over 400 research articles. He has held numerous positions over his career, including former chair of our sports division and is currently the president of our prestigious Herodica Society. He currently serves as the chief medical officer for USA Hockey and has served as a senior physician in multiple Olympics. We know Dr. Stewart is a very busy man, so we want to thank him here for joining us today on the podcast. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Great, Mike. So we thought we'd just highlight your experience with the USA Hockey team and the Olympics. So let's just start out with how did you first develop your love of hockey? Well, I grew up in Illinois, Casey. We didn't really have organized hockey or an indoor rink. It's not until I came to Rochester, Minnesota in 1983, and our young children began playing termite hockey, and I got involved as the team physician for the Rochester Mustangs, which was a United States Hockey League team based in Rochester. And from there, it kind of took off. I became more involved as a researcher, team physician, hockey parent, and then became involved with USA Hockey and eventually became their chief medical officer. Okay, so you got more involved in the adult side. It's not like you played, you got involved because of your kids. Exactly. People say, why are your kids hockey players when you never played? And I said, it's because of where they grew up. Rochester has a very rich tradition. And of course, Minnesota is the state of hockey. Last night in the uh, Frozen Four, there was actually two Minnesota teams playing against each other. And one of them, of course, advanced to the championship tomorrow night. And it was fun to watch numerous Minnesota natives on all four teams competing for the national championship. Nice, nice, that's exciting. And, and some people may know this, but your kids are actually really good. And several of them were in the NHL. Tell us about that experience and what was the, you know, on the parental side of hockey coverage. Yeah, our kids were very fortunate. They enjoyed the sport. They played multiple sports growing up, but they did focus on hockey. So all three boys and our daughter played division one college hockey. And then the three boys went on to professional careers, uh, including the American Hockey League, National Hockey League, and also European Hockey League. So uh, there are now moved on to different professions, different occupations, but it was sure a real fun time following them throughout their collegiate and professional careers. That's exciting. That must, that must have been really you know, humbling and exciting to witness them achieve those great things. Yeah, and it was also fortunate for me being team physician with USA Hockey, where I was able to be part of teams with my son. So my son, Mark, for example, was captain of the U.S. national team that won the very first gold medal in the uh, world championships. And I was uh, there in Finland as the team physician. So we got to, to share those memories together. Awesome. 
So let's get into your, your time with uh, USA Hockey. So you're now been the team position at the Olympics now four times. How do you get started with Team USA? Well, when I became interested in sports medicine and then uh, also as the Mustangs team position, I was very fortunate because two of our administrators here at Mayo Clinic, Ken Johansson, who was our orthopedic administrator, and Bob Fleming, uh, were very involved in hockey. In fact, they were part of the 1980 Miracle on Ice staff. And so uh, they introduced me to USA Hockey as a volunteer team position. I went on my very first trip to Japan in 1990 and then kept involved and then was named the chief medical officer, which allowed me not only to be team physician at multiple world championships, the World Cup and Olympics, but also be involved uh, as the now co-chair of the safety and protective equipment committee. So we actually are involved with all rules and preventative strategies and a catastrophic injury registry. And uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, I, I work with our safety manager, Kevin Margarucci at USA Hockey, uh, to make sure that we try our best to make hockey very safe uh, throughout all levels of competition in the US. Awesome stuff, Mike. And I, I imagine that was different uh, this year. Uh, tell us about your experience this year at the Olympics. We know it was different in the midst of the pandemic. Were there things that you had to do differently to make sure all the players were safe? Exactly. So all our lives have been affected by the COVID pandemic and certainly the Olympics were. We were required to meet in LA and go through multiple COVID tests in order to qualify, get a green pass to get on the flight to China. Unfortunately, two of our team members, uh, one of our top defensemen and our general manager were not able to travel with us. Our players stayed in isolation for seven days and was able to join us late. Our general manager never made it to China. Once we arrived, we had to get tested twice at the Beijing airport in order to enter the bubble, which is a very uh, strict closed loop type of situation in order to prevent the spread of COVID. Then we were tested daily and there was always some anxiety that maybe if you tested positive, you would be taken to the isolation facility. One of our women's coaches actually was in isolation for 10 days, which was uh, not a pleasant experience. Fortunately, none of our men's team's players or athletes ended up in isolation, but we did have some in the so-called close contact protocol where you had to eat by yourself and travel by yourself. And so it, it was a tremendous experience. Uh, the Olympics is, is very unique. Uh, there, there's really a, a sense of the Olympic spirit and political issues are kind of put aside for the sake of competition and sport. But I think the very intense security, the COVID precautions being in China itself made it a little more difficult. We were unable to move around. We went by um, secure car between our housing facility and the arena and back again. Uh, fortunately, in the Olympic Village, uh, there were streets and it was more like a very small college campus. At least you could walk around outside and to the dining hall, et cetera. But other than that, we were not allowed to do any sightseeing or to go out anywhere on, on the street. It was very, very strict. 
Yeah, I know that differed from times in the past where there's more socialization and people were, you know, get to know each other. What was your daily schedule like? Was it just going to practices and games and testing and, and that's it? Yeah, pretty much because we'd get up in the morning and get tested and then we'd have breakfast and we'd go to the arena and we'd pretty much stay there all day preparing for the games, doing treatments. And then some of our games uh, began at 9, 10 p.m. No so way. as you know, uh, after the game, of course, you're, you're caring for athletes, you're doing evaluations. And at the Olympics, we have doping control or drug testing, both urine and blood. So we had players after every game that would get tested. And I would, of course, accompany them to the doping control station. And sometimes that can take a couple hours. So uh, it was long days and, and most of it was, was spent at the arena because there was nowhere else to go or really not much else to do because of the COVID pandemic restrictions. Yeah. Do you think that social isolation affected the players, both, you know, mental health, you know, they used to seeing fans and cheering. Do you think that had an effect on them at all? I think it did. There was still a lot of uh, bonding and team building. And like I mentioned, in the Olympic Village, all the athletes from all sports, from all countries are able to interact on a daily basis. And uh, so I think there was still that aspect of the Olympics. But unfortunately, uh, in the arena, for example, there was uh, a few fans, but they were part of the bubble as well. They were Chinese citizens. Um, Contrast to other Olympics, our, our players, our staff, there was no family members that were allowed to come. Uh, it was a very limited uh, amount of people that could be there. And so I think that did drastically change the environment. You know, typically there's the USA House and the Canada House, and there's yeah. uh, wonderful ways to celebrate the Olympics uh, by country. And none of that existed in Beijing. Wow, that's unfortunate. Well, hopefully, you know, in the next coming years, things will get back to normal. Yeah, I hope so. In four years, it'll be in Cortina in Milan, Italy. And without a pandemic, I think that will be a wonderful environment for the Winter Olympics. Awesome. Awesome. So you've covered many different sports, um, but hockey, I know, is near and dear to you. How does the hockey athlete compare to other sports and what injuries are you typically treating with these players? Yeah, I do enjoy covering all sports and, and see athletes from all sports. Uh, my love of hockey, I think, has taught me that it, it's a very safe sport at the younger level. But when you get to the higher levels, especially where they don't wear facial protection, the types of injuries change. And with bigger, faster, more aggressive players, a uh, little different rules, there are some concerns for more catastrophic injuries. And thank goodness they don't happen very often, but we do worry about injuries, facial injuries, for example, eye injuries, neck, cervical, spine injuries, laryngeal trauma, concussion or traumatic brain injury. So. Hockey players are very resilient. Uh, in my experience, they're very humble. They're very motivated to return to play. So they're kind of an easy group to take care of, to be yeah. honest. Sometimes they're a little too tough for their own good. And you have to keep them out, out of play because they'll want to go back after receiving sutures or having dental trauma, uh, especially in the realm of concussion. We now have very protective protocols in place to make sure 
that no one returns with any type of uh, concussion or even a potential concussion. So overall, they're, they're a joy to take care of, uh, um, you know, at every level. I've, I've done it from youth all the way through uh, NHL players, and, and it, it is a really, really fun sport to cover. Yeah, and we get a lot of talk or a lot of hype about concussions in football, but you're very experienced with the NHL concussion and done some research about it. What are you finding in these NHL athletes or hockey athletes that have concussions? Well, I think number one is prevention. And so we've come up with some educational programs. We've also come up with some rule changes, for example, hits to the head, boarding, charging. And in youth hockey, we're trying to really de-emphasize body checking as a way of trying to maybe inflict harm. Instead, it's the gain possession of the puck. So there's been a real paradigm shift in uh, coaching education, for example, and even player perception so that safety and mutual respect for your opponent are now more prominent. Uh, and I think that we're able to see a reduction in the risk of concussion. Having said that, it is a very fast game. It's played on an incredibly hard surface, and it's surrounded by boards and glass, even though they do absorb some energy there will always be a risk of injury, including concussion. But we hope that through education and rule enforcement and prompt diagnosis and removal from play, we will be able to minimize risk and, and actually uh, hopefully minimize the long-term consequences of traumatic brain injury that certainly we've seen in the sport of football, but also in hockey. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head, Mike. And with all these, you know, new rules and education, I know we're treating concussions better, and hopefully that will decrease the long-term effect that our athletes have. Yeah, and we've, you know, we've instituted, for example, in the International Ice Hockey Federation, I'm a member of the medical committee, concussion spotters, just like the National Football League has. So we, we do everything we can to identify potential concussions early because we know the consequences of repeated traumatic brain injury and some of the short and long-term effects that can have. Great, great. Let's get to maybe a lighter question. Um, what do you enjoy most about covering hockey? Well, I think, uh, as you know, being a team physician, it's really rewarding to feel like you're part of the team. So I enjoy getting to know the players and the athletic trainers and the coaches and the equipment managers, because it really does foster that team concept. We all have very specific roles, but we all pitch in and help each other out. And I think those types of relationships are very valuable to me. And I've had lifelong relationships with staff and players that I've worked with. And I think that's a big part of it. You're not just a consultant that comes in and provides an opinion you're actually part of a team and being an ex-athlete uh, I think that's uh, very very important to me well that's great Mike well I want to thank you once again for you know stopping by the show and also for your you know coverage and your role modeling and your expertise in the sport of hockey for all these years I mean we've learned a lot from you and we'll continue to in the future thank you very much thanks for having me all right. Thanks, Mike. You bet. Bye-bye.